Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse 7. This is where we left off. Verse 7. If you found your place, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to meet us at this time and, and bless your word. And Father, in a, that you may give it strength to us and Father, that you may sear it in our hearts and in our minds. And Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your love to us and your grace and the salvation. And in you we trust, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the name of the message or the name of the study today is going to be Hardened Hearts Test God. They don't trust God. Hardened Hearts will test God but not trust God. So as a recap, just we know that we started in verse 7, and last week we looked at verses 1 through 6, and the idea was is that the faithful son is greater than the servant Moses. And we saw how. I mean, consider Jesus Christ is what he had began to say in chapter 3, verse 1, just to consider him. And that word consider Jesus is can keep on considering him. Uh, just don't think about him once, but always have Jesus on your heart and on your mind. But consider his office. Consider how much greater Jesus is to Moses. Consider Jesus' office. He's the, the apostle. He's a supreme apostle, and he's the supreme high priest. Consider his work. He is the builder of the house. And, and Moses was a servant of the house. And Moses was a faithful servant. Of the house, but Jesus is the builder. And then consider Jesus' person. He is the son. Moses was the servant. And again, uh, just a faithful servant that Moses was. But now in verse 7, he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. This will start a warning that actually goes all the way to chapter 4, verse 13. And next week we will look at, at that, Lord willing. But this begins a warning here to continue to believe 
and obey to enter into God's rest. The whole objective is to enter in into God's rest. Now, for the next uh, few verses, he's going to give us an example of what Israel did, and then he will give us an application of what we are to do. And considering this uh, illustration of Israel. So here's the, the main point of tonight's lesson, and I want us to, and as we go, we're going to do a lot of reading tonight. We're going to go back in the Old Testament, we're going to look and see uh, uh, Israel. But think about this main point. Trials that trigger you into a hardened heart is because of unbelief. Now think about that. Trials of faith will trigger you. Will they trigger you to faith and trusting God? Or will they trigger you to unbelief and testing God? That's what Israel did. Israel had a trial of faith. This triggered them. And then what they do? They were in unbelief. They had a hard heart towards God. And instead of trusting God, they tested God. They tested God's patience. And that's what we're going to observe tonight. But the, the warning is all of us should take heed to this warning to keep on trusting Christ. Now remember, he's, he is writing to the, the Jewish professed believers. I know I'm saved. And I, I pray and, and that you have the same assurance of your salvation. But as, as I speak, and you know, I can't peer into your, your soul and your heart, and I, I see evidences and fruits and things in your life that, yes, they have the Holy Spirit, and yes, they are saved, and, and I can call you my brother and my sister, and praise the Lord that you're saved. But the thing is, is when we address people, and the same admonishment is to us, is to always be considered. Always be having faith. Always have repentance and faith and trust. Never stop. You know, the, the word of God, um, and I love the, the saying that those who fail to believe God and then, and then they fall away. They, they don't have Jesus as a possession. They only have Jesus as a profession. And so we see that the warning is over and over in the word of God. Uh, I mean, it's not to, to rattle your faith. It's not to make you doubt your salvation. But there is a continuance. Observe your heart. Observe. What do you do when your faith is challenged in life? How, how are you triggered? Do you have faith? Do you trust? And so that is the admonition. That's the warning that the Hebrew writer is giving to, we know the Jewish believers or the Jewish professed believers, but it also, it's for us today. The application is for us today. So it's to every single person who professes Jesus Christ, this warning is for us. To always be, always be repenting, always be believing, always trusting. And don't become desensitized to sin. Call sin out in your life. Call it what it is. And then repent of it and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and then trust that he has forgiven you of your sins and then overcome. Ask for the, God to strengthen you and guide you to overcome those things. So the, the aspect of this is we will fail. 
there will be trials of faith that we have. And that's what the Lord gives us, these trials of faith in our life, that sometimes we're going to fail, but we should learn. We should learn from those trials how we failed because, because we'll repent. Lord, I failed. I have failed to do that, but with a soft heart. Trials shouldn't harden our hearts. They should soften them, especially when we fail. The failed faith should soften our hearts. They should bring sorrow to us. They should bring, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me that I once again was overtaken. I once again failed. That temptation just took me again. And the beautiful aspect of it is that when you go to God with that kind of heart, he's going to open your mind and reveal to you, this is what you need. This is, this is where it's tripping you up. That this is where you need to repent and, and overcome. Just have faith to overcome those things. All right, so, but the desire should be there. Now, that's a soft heart. Professed believers, they're in dangerous ground when those trials embolden them to just keep sinning, to give up, to not care. That's a hardened heart. So that is what we're being warned in verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice. Now, he quotes Psalm 95 here. And let's go ahead and in your Bibles, if you would, please turn over to Psalm 95. And we're, like I said, we're going to be in the Old Testament here for a little bit. We're going to actually, uh, this is a... Got to thinking tonight about uh, the lesson. I was like, you know what, this is a Bible study, so we're we're going to read our Bibles tonight. Now remember our verse in verse seven and verse eight. Harden not your hearts. He says, as in the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness. But look at Psalm ninety-five. He says, "O come." Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. That sounds a lot like the Hebrews uh, scriptures we just read. Now, if you come over to Numbers chapter 14, now just to warm us up uh, a little bit to what we're getting ready to read, Most of us know the story 
of the Exodus. Most of us know what that meant when he's talking about those in the wilderness, those who God was grieved with. But I wanted to, to go over this again so it's fresh in our minds because, like I said, the next couple of lessons we're going to have in Hebrews is going to spring from this behavior that we see and this rest that God is talking about entering into. So look at Numbers chapter 13, the end of chapter 13. Now, Israel, now if you remember, Israel had, was in Egypt for 400 years. Remember, Joseph went to Egypt. And that's where you know, he preserved Israel. He preserved Jacob and his brothers. He went to Egypt, and he became second in command of the Pharaoh. And then so 400 years had passed. The last 200 years, Israel was put into bitter bondage, bitter slavery, just cruel and awful slavery that Israel was put into. So God sent Moses. God sent Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt. And what did God give Moses to do? In a mighty and big way, God demonstrated that he is God. And with ten plagues, just miracle after miracle and signs, and, and it's wonderful that these, some of these plagues, I mean, they didn't fall upon Israel. They fell upon Egypt. And so there's one key evidence to anybody who's an Israelite in Egypt and seeing Moses come up with a staff and saying, thus saith the Lord, you're going to say, wow, you know, here's these miracle signs and wonders. Look at all this evidence. Okay, well then they finally leave Egypt and then it's not too long they come to the Red Sea. And now they're stuck at the Red Sea. And what happens at the Red Sea? God has Moses part the Red Sea. So not only is God their God and he is delivering them, he is protecting them, he is loving them, but Moses is also God's messenger. So those two things should be obviously evident to anybody who has, can see or not even, maybe even see. So they split the Red Sea, and then they get to where they're hungry. And then what did God do? He sent manna. And then they got thirsty. What did God do? He had water come out of a rock. So evidence after evidence after evidence of God's hand of protection, his, his providence that Moses is the man. Finally, they get to Canaan. This was the land of promise that God had given them. And here in Numbers chapter 13, at the end of it, or actually all of Numbers chapter 13, is Moses sending 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, to go out and scout the land there in Canaan. But in uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 17, I'm going to be skipping around until we get to 14. He says, uh, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and in verse 18, it says, And see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak. And in verse 25, they returned from searching out the land after 40 days. But what happened in, in verse 30? And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with them said, We were we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report, ten out of the twelve men, 
Ten of these men brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched into the children of Israel, saying, The land uh, through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. In chapter 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. So not only were they in unbelief, but they started murmuring against God's messengers, God's uh, men here. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us in unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Now, notice what's going on here. What's being tried? Their faith. Here is an instance that their faith is being tried. Do I trust God? Or do I turn away from God? Verse 4. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. They wanted to go back. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then we will bring us into this land and give it, and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not. There's that word. Do not harden your heart. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And this is what the Lord said. He said that unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? There's the day of provocation. So it's not just this instance of provocation. They've been provoking the Lord with their unbelief and murmuring against God's people this whole time. So the day doesn't necessarily mean a 24-hour period. But this time of unbelief is the day of provocation, which how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Then Moses goes on and he pleads with the Lord to forgive them just for his namesake. Because he goes on to say, Lord, if, if you kill all these people, the people are going to notice that you were not able to deliver them. And so in verse 19, Moses says this, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. 
But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me, notice those words, tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it, but my servant Caleb. Because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. And um, also Joshua. Um, in verse 26, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, and saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in. And they shall now, and they shall, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Down in verse thirty-six, uh, the Lord had served out the consequence. Verse 36, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Japheneth, uh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. Now they're sorry. God's judgment has come. And he's not going back. Now, I thought I was going to be done right here, but look at verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we'll go... <laughs> into the place which the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. They're like, okay, we changed our mind. Uh, we're sorry. Let's go into the land. So our carcass, you know, the, God had already sent down the word of his judgment. And Moses said, in verse 41, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you that ye be not smitten before your enemies. Isn't that sad? Aren't those the saddest words? Well, that the Lord is not among you. Verse 43, For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go. They still disobeyed God. They went on up into the hilltop. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses 
uh, departed not out of the camp, then guess what happens? Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them, even unto Hormah. Isn't that something? Even they were sorry that the, the judgment of God had come, but it was, it was too late. There was no turning and believing God. But we see even they didn't do that then either. They were, they were more sorry about the consequence that God had brought rather than believing God. And that is what we see. If you come back to Hebrews chapter 3 again, now let's read this, and, and this with in our minds. Remember this in your minds. Trials that trigger you into a broken heart, or a hardened heart, are a result of unbelief. Okay? That's, that's what it is. Then trials will come. So, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice. That today means now. Right now. Uh, don't wait. Don't put it off. This is the day of salvation. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. He goes, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And this wherefore that we see in verse 7, you know, that is one of those transition words. Having spoken about everything we just said about Jesus and the evidence that we've given about Jesus, be careful to listen and obey. Be careful to hear him, to hear his voice. And that word harden in verse 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So that's why this really, verse 8, really hones us in, having read what we read. What did they do when they were tempted with sin? They provoked God. That's something, isn't it? They didn't please God. They did not believe. They didn't believe him. And even God said, look at all these. I mean, I have made, God has made himself so evident. And you still won't believe. You still will not believe him. And when does that become noticeable to you? In temptations. When you're at home. And you've got that sin. And you're tempted. Are we provoking God? By hardening our hearts? And just saying, you know what, I'm not going to consider this sin a big deal. And you've convinced yourself it's not a big deal. And then not only do you have yourself convinced it's not a big deal, you've gone on to convince, well, God doesn't think it's a big deal either. There is no trivial sin to God. God hates sin. Yeah. If there's sin in our lives, what do we do? We repent of it immediately. Yeah. What is 1 John? Say, if we confess our sins, and that word confess our sins is not just once. It's a continual confess, day by day by day. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and make him out to be a liar. So what do we do? We call that sin out. Call it by name when you're praying and asking the Lord to forgive you. Not just my generic sins, not my sins yesterday. Not, I mean, right when you commit that sin, repent. Repent. Don't wait. That's how you keep the soft heart. That's how you, you feel sorry for that sin. And you, you don't harden your heart because when you become desensitized, it's like a scab or a scar. You know, uh, many of you have injuries where you may have scar tissue over top of your injuries and, and that skin is not as sensitive as it used to be. That area may not be as sensitive. It's just like calluses. The same things with your heart. The more you explain away sin in your life or try to, to shove it away or deceive yourself or hope God or this, you're building those calluses and you're becoming desensitized. And what you're doing is you're hardening your heart. This provokes God. As in the, he says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation. You will not know if you're going to trust God or test God until you've been tempted. You know, I, I can sit at home and read about how to swim and watch videos of how to swim, and I can make myself believe I know how to swim. But what is really going to make me know if I know how to swim? Well, I've got to go through a test. The same thing with faith. That's what James says. You know, the faith, when it's tested and it's tried, he says, rejoice. Rejoice. That is the test. And the, the more that the, you repent, I mean, like I said, we don't pass our tests most of the time. Or there's, we don't pass them as well as we want to. But there's always room and there, there's always this, and Lord, help me to overcome that better next time. But at least you're acknowledging it. At least you're calling it what it is. And you're trusting in the Lord that he has forgiven you. Now, that's what it says. When did they, when did they provoke him? Well, it was in the day of their temptation. And I pray that, that we trust the Lord. And when that sin comes into your life and tempts you, or that same sin over and over that's tempting you, that we trust in him. Verse 9, it says, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. And what's amazing is, is these trials were meant to test them. But in these trials, they were actually testing God by how they were reacting to the trial. <laughs> the trials of faith are meant for our good. And we know that our Father loves us. And we know that when he, because I'm telling you, the, the peace that comes by having that assurance of your faith and through that trial uh, that comes and how, how wonderful it is to us to have that assurance. But they were kind of working it back and they were trying God's patience. They were, they were tempting God. They were, that's what that word tempted means, is trying him. Proved me and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. That word grieved means a loathing. God was angry. He was incensed. 
That's a very heavy word. Uh, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and saw and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Now, we need to understand that Israel over and over and over and over disobeyed. They over and over and over were in unbelief. We saw their attitudes. Even when they were corrected, they presumed to go out and, and disobey God. And then even when the men of God stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord, they said, Well, let's stone these people. These are the people that have hardened their hearts against all of the evidence of God, the testimony of God, but they were professed that they were people of God. And that's our warning. Look where they do not know God's ways. In verse 10, they do always err in their heart. And that's where it is. They did not know God's ways. Since they didn't know God's ways, they didn't know God. Where do you know God? In your heart. We read about God. We pray. And we read about him. We, we get our head filled. But is it going down? It needs to go down. Do we believe God so much it's going to change the way you behave? It's going to make you change that instead of doing this, now I'm going to do this. Because it's down here now. It's not just here. It's here. And that's, they always do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Even the psalmist in Psalm 25, he prayed that the Lord would help him to know God's ways. And I love Psalm 25, 7. He says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. We know God's way. There's a lot of things that we don't know. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. But we know him. We know him in our hearts. It's enough to make you think twice about getting into that conversation. It's enough to make you feel guilty and, and, and sorrowful or shameful when you have bad thoughts, thinking bad thoughts, or you say bad things, or you have an anger slip out and things of that nature. Um, because God's in your heart. And so he was grieved with them. True trials in life are not overcome with just head knowledge. Just head knowledge is not going to get you through trials. Yeah. It won't. Um, these trials will trigger. Either you're trusting God or you're testing God. It's those sins. And like I said, you can be one of God's people and you've grieved the Holy Spirit and, and you've, you've, you've surrendered to the flesh and you're just, you don't have the sweet fellowship that you used to have. And I can tell you right now, that's because there's sin in your life. We must confess that sin, turn our back on that sin and ask God to forgive us and help us and strengthen us and, and give us the ability and the strength to overcome 
Because guess what? That temptation's coming again. It's coming right back. I mean, it's just like it seems like it's one after another of these temptations. And so we need him. We need his strength. So Israel had enough, had more than enough evidence to trust God in Moses' day. How much more evidence do we have of the lordship of Jesus Christ? That Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the savior. He just spent the first three chapters proving that over and over, that Jesus is the express image of God. He's the brightness of God's glory. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Uh, Hebrews is beautiful because we just got out of Acts. And how many times do we see Paul go into a synagogue first and reason with them from the Scriptures? And I just picture Hebrews. That's all I picture is that Paul is convincing them that the Messiah, he must have suffered. He must, he had to suffer and die and become our lamb, become our substitute, become our sin substitute because we are dead in sins. We are condemned already. God had to come and become lower than the angels and take on the form of a servant and humble himself. In God's great humility, he came and he suffered and he was mocked and he died for your sins. But hallelujah, he rose from the grave. He conquered all of it. And he has brought us to himself as children. He is not ashamed to call you his brother. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I tell you, he has conquered. And the, even the, the, the fear of death, he's conquered for us. This is the evidence of Jesus. Jesus, there is evidence that Jesus saves and changes lives all around us. Don't you see it? When the Lord comes into a heart and they just change like night and day. And that's the evidence. We see evidence all around us. How much more consequence would there be if we just ignore the evidence? Like the children of Israel ignored the evidence of God. I don't know how long you've been in the word, but I remember as a child, I would get mad. I'd get mad at, at Israel. I'm like, man, why? Don't you see? I mean, he did all of this stuff. And not only that, is we are reminded over and over and over and over that he did it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think every day they were probably reminded, hey, remember what God did in Egypt? Remember how grand that was? Remember it was right before your eyes? This is the same generation. And now you're turning your back? You're wanting to go back in the bondage? You want to go back in the Egypt? You want to refuse God? Now, here's the thing. Um, I got to thinking about this. It's kind of like children. I don't know how many of you are parents, and if, if you are, grandparents or nieces. And, children will sometimes test you to see how far they can go. They will do this, hopefully not intentionally, but unintentionally, they will do this. Because as parents, what do we have? We have rules. But over and over, what have we shown our children? Our love, our protection, our guidance. I mean, you can tell them, there's nothing more in this world that I love than I love you right now. And listen to what I'm saying. This is what's best for you. This is what you need to do. Here's, here's what you do. But what does a child do? They say, well, I wonder, I know that they love me and 
They want the best for me, but I wonder if I can have a better life doing what I want to do. I wonder if I can just make those decisions. Now let's see, let's see how bendable they are on the rules. Let's see how bendable. And what happens to you as a parent when you know they're testing you? It grieves your heart. It, 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 it's, you know, and every child, I mean, I don't know if you all did it or not, but I would think most every children, whether intentionally or not, are going to figure out where the boundaries are. When is dad going to flip? When's mom going to flip out? So you're testing them to provocation. You're testing to see where that boundary is. And that is what is at the heart of it, is when we forsake God. You know what? And that's Satan, too. Has God really said? Has he really said? Does God really consider this a sin? I mean, you enjoy doing it, and you're, you know, you're okay with it, and everybody else is okay. Is this really a sin? You can get away with this. And that's what he says, that deceitfulness of sin. Beware, brother. Beware of this deceitfulness of sin. But they're pushing. They're testing. And I would hope not intentionally, but definitely unintentionally, we will decide, you know what, I think I want to do what I want to do. And that is what happens. And so what happens here with verse 11? So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. These are the people who have just completely turned away from God. They may have professed in God, the same thing today. They may be a professed believer, but they do not have possession. They only have profession. Verse 12, take heed, brethren. Here's the warning. So we'll go through here because he's, he applies it here. Now, we were just given the example. There's two parts I wanted to go over tonight. The example of Israel in the wilderness, and now the application. Here's the application. Verse 12, take heed. Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Now, notice he calls them brethren. I believe he is talking to each and every person, each and every professed believer. Okay? And we see this all throughout. Make your election and your calling sure. Uh, there are members of churches that are not saved. Yeah. There are people who profess that they're saved and they're not. Here is the heed, brethren. Notice how this is to be an encouragement. This is out of love. He's not scolding anybody. This is a care. This is a deep care. Brethren, sisters, do this. Be careful lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. What is it when we turn from God? It's unbelief. And departing from the living God. But verse 13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That word exhort is parakaleo. And that's the same word that we get the comforter. When Jesus says, I will send the comforter. Pericleo is someone who comes alongside and encourages you. That, that's what he's exhorting the church members to do. 
Come alongside each other and exhort, encourage one another in the faith, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And there is that warning again that we saw in, in verse 6. Look at verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The proof of our salvation is the continuance. That's what it is. It's the continuance. Does that mean that you... Could back, uh, that if you backslide, that you're not saved? I'm not saying that. But if, when you backslide, if the Lord doesn't call you back. Or if there's not some kind of small, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. It's still there. You can drown it. You can suppress it. But it's still there. And you know it's there. It won't let you go so far. And God will not allow you to go so far. He'll either bring you to repentance. And that's what he said in Romans chapter 2. Know you not that the long-suffering of God leadeth thee to repentance. So either the Lord is going to energize your heart and say, I've been patient with you. But you need to repent right now. Either that happens or something else bad. Is going to, he's going to correct you or he'll take you. Um, Even worse, he'll let you keep going because you're not one of his. If you have truly believed and are saved, you will continue. That's what the word of God says. He who hath began a good work in you will continue it. To us who are saved, we know we're saved. Isn't this just an amazing jolt to our hearts? to take sin more seriously. I mean, not that you didn't already, but take it seriously. God hates sin. He hates it. And every time you're tempted with that sin, think about what Israel did. They were tempted. That temptation was a trigger. It triggered trust or it triggered provocation of God. It triggered unbelief. Um, and let, let me read the rest of the verses. And he kind of summarizes it with verse 15 through 19. While it is said, Today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved for forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? but to them that believe not. For so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And we're going to talk about entering in to his rest in the next chapter. I pray the Lord's richly blessed you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this study. Father, what, what a mighty love and grace and mercy you have shown Father, we, Lord, just as we leave this place, may we embrace your words. May we know, Father, and have all confidence and boldness that we can come to you through Jesus Christ who died for our sins and shed his blood and saved us and brought us to you.
through the blood. Oh, Father, may we just, in, the, in our time of temptation of sin, Father, may we just realize what it is, that it is a trial of faith, that there is no small sin, that each sin that we're tried with, Father, may we just look to you in trust and faith, whatever the trial may be, whatever comes in our lives that may tempt us in unbelief. Father, may we just be steadfast in you, and may you help us and lead us and guide us. We pray for those, Lord, who may not know you as their personal Savior. Father, we pray that you would just show it to them, no matter what state that they are in, that you just reveal it to their hearts. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name.